0: An anchor that keeps the, soul. the Anchor of the Soul, soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Branch, Olive Branch Mississippi. Move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, we have a picture of life's final exam. Everything up to this point in time is preparation. In verses 11 through 15, we find what John is telling us, test time is here. And so what I want to do is to look at these verses and think for a moment or two about the final exam of life. Because whether we realize it or not, we're all moving towards that day. I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to the Savior who is on The throne. And of course, we know that this being is deity. The Lord is on the throne. Listen to what John said in verse 11 Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The son here is pictured as sitting upon this great white throne. Jesus, of course, has been given the authority to judge the human family. The Lord would say in John chapter 5 at verse 22 that the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. In verse 27 of that same chapter, He would say that God has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus pictures his second coming. And he said, at his second coming, his holy angels will accompany him. And the Bible tells us he will be seated upon the throne of his glory. So Jesus is pictured here as sitting upon this throne. As I think about the Son of God sitting upon this throne and His authority, I'm also reminded of His attributes or the attributes of His judgment. Did you know that the Lord will be impartial in His judgment towards those of us who are part of the human family? The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 at verse 11 that there is no respect of persons with him. We live in a day and time in which we understand that there are, in many cases, preconceived prejudices and partiality is given towards certain individuals based on their race, maybe their education, their social standing in life. We understand that this is a part of the world In which we live. And yet, as we look at the court of our Lord, and I want to remind you that the courtroom scene that we are looking at in Revelation chapter 20 is the highest court in the universe. And Jesus is the judge sitting upon his throne. He will be impartial in his judgments rendered towards those of us who belong to the human family. Not only will he be impartial, but his judgment will be infallible. In other words, there will be no mistakes in this courtroom. The Lord has the ability to peer into the hearts and lives of those of us who belong to the human family. In Revelation chapter 2 at verse 4, when Jesus begins his... Summary of the seven churches of Asia Minor. He begins with the church at Ephesus. And in verse 4, he said, I know your works. That is a mark of deity. God is all-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And so when he makes a judgment or renders a verdict, we can, we can take it to the bank. It will be fair and impartial. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, A statement was made by Abraham in the long ago. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God will do right. Jesus will be fair in his judgment. And he will be infallible in his judgment. In chapter 2, verse 23 of the book of Revelation. Again, Jesus said that he is the one who searches the reins and the hearts. And he gives to every man according to his deeds. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. As Solomon would say in Proverbs chapter 15, The Lord God, he knows all and he sees all. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. And so as we think about being called before this great judge, and as he judges the universe, the Lord who is upon this throne will be infallible and impartial. What about the souls who are gathered before the throne? In verse 12, here's what John said. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing Before God. The picture here takes us back to the promise that was made by Jesus in the long ago. Jesus announced that at some point in time in history he would come again. He said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We understand that in terms of the second coming of Christ, no one knows the day, the month, the year or the hour for that matter, but we know that he will come. Paul said that when Jesus comes, that it will occur at the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. When Jesus comes, the dead will be raised. The Lord said in John chapter 5, the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation in verses 28 and 29. This is the hour that Jesus foretold of. When he makes his descent, and when he makes his descent, the Bible tells us all nations will be gathered before him. As we talk about the souls that are assembled before the throne. I cited a moment ago Matthew 25 verses 31 and 32 where Jesus there said all nations will be gathered before his throne. In Acts chapter 17 the Apostle Paul is recorded as preaching to those who lived in Athens. He declared to those people the one true living God. He pointed out that it is God who is the giver of all life, breath and all things. He said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And there's a reason for that. He said, because there's a day coming in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Note, if you would, the world. Yes, all nations will be there. We go back in history and we think about that great Babylonian empire. Those who lived in Babylon will be present at the judgment. And then I think about the Medo-Persian empire that Daniel foretold of in Daniel chapter 2. And those who lived in that empire, they'll be present. Daniel would also speak of the Grecian empire. Alexander the Great was a great warrior. And the Bible tells us the Grecians will be there. And then references made to the Roman empire And the Romans, they will be present at the judgment. Paul said, I saw the dead, small and great. Did you know that the young and old will be present at the judgment? The rich and the poor will be together at the judgment. The famous, those that at one time enjoyed the pinnacle of fame in our world, they'll be present. The infamous, they too will be present. We could ball it down and say simply this, we will all be at the judgment. Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that when the judgment occurs, whether we like it or not, we'll be there. There will be no exclusions, no absentees. Everyone will be there. Paul would say in Romans chapter 14, that we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. He said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account to God. So then we must all give an account of ourselves to God. That's the bottom line. We'll all be present. And then there is a third thing that I want to call attention to, and that is the standard by which we're going to be judged. Listen now, as John talks about this solemn occasion, that will occur at the last day as Jesus foretold of in John 12, verse 48. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Let's begin by talking about the books that will be opened. He's talking here about the Bible, God's holy word. Did you know that this book has been given to us as a source of inspiration, so that we might harmonize our lives with the Lord and live in peace with our Creator and with one another. This book is going to be opened on that great and final day. The Bible tells us that the judgment of God is according to truth in Romans chapter 2 at verse 2. Paul would say in verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The gospel will be opened. The truth will be opened. Jesus said in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. God's holy word is the standard by which the human family is going to be judged. Now we can talk about the standard by which those who lived under the patriarchal law will be judged. We could spend time and talk about the Mosaic law and the fact that those who lived under that law will be judged accordingly. But for the purposes of our study, we need to understand that what's going to judge us is the New Testament. That's what we live under. It is identified by the Apostle Paul as the law of Christ in Galatians 6, verse 2. It is the perfect law of liberty according to James in James chapter 1, verse 25. In light of the fact that we're going to be judged by this book, James said in chapter 2, verse 12, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What James is saying is you need to make sure that your conduct on earth, what you say, how you say it, to whom you say it, you need to make sure that your words, your speech, is in harmony with God's will. And then the things that you do, how you conduct yourself in this life, the way you treat others, whether it be your family members, your friends, your stranger, or rather strangers, you need to understand that how you treat other people, you're going to be judged for that. The things that you do or maybe do not do, you'll be judged for that as well. You see, what we're talking about is a body of work. And as you live in this life, what you are doing is creating or cultivating a body of work. At some point in time, that body of work will become a legacy for good or bad. When we step out into eternity, we understand that when death comes, that the body, the body and the spirit are separated. The body is placed in the tomb. The spirit goes to be with God. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, at verse 7. So at death, whatever we've done here on planet Earth, how we've carried ourselves and the things that we've said and done in life, those things become our body of work, our legacy. So that's how our friends and family members will remember us. And it's on the basis of those things that the Lord will judge us. Well, what's the standard by which he's going to judge us? It's his word. The psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. If you're not following God's word, if your life is not in harmony with his will, I don't know any other way to say it but to simply say you're in trouble. You are on thin ice. So the Bible is going to be open. I'm not going to be judged on the basis of what I think or what others, others think. I'm not going to be judged on the basis of some creed or confession of faith. I'm not going to be judged on the basis of what the majority thinks, but rather on the basis of what God's law says. Now there's a second book that's going to be opened. John said another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Let me just pause here for a minute. What is the book of life? Well, the book of life could be described as a heavenly register. And there are two important things that you need to see as they relate to the book of life. Number one, your name potentially can be recorded in the book of life. Or your name may already be in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life? Well, the Bible tells us that those who have obeyed the gospel In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the Hebrew writer said, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn ones, to those who are registered in heaven. Let me just pause there for a minute. When we obey the gospel of Christ, and here's what's entailed in that, we must first come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only source of our salvation. Luke said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we must come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. And then we have to be willing to repent of our sins. That is, to give up a life of sin. Now, faith and repentance are mandatory. We turn away from a life of sin. That is, we get out of the sinning business. On Pentecost Day, Peter said, repent. And then we have the opportunity to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. We have an example of this in Acts 8, verse 37, the eunuch, as he confessed to Christ, the Son of the living God. The Bible then says we're to be baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism, why are we immersed in a watery grave of baptism? So that our sins might be washed away. What is it that washes away our sins? The blood of Jesus. Saul was encouraged by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we're baptized into Christ, the Bible tells us that we're baptized into the one body, that is in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said by one spirit, were you all baptized into one body. So God then adds us to the church or places us in the church, the body of the redeemed. Those who have been reconciled to God, they're in the church, according to Ephesians 2, verse 16. They become the church of the firstborn ones. The firstborn goes back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. The firstborn in the Old Testament signified That which belonged to God. In Hebrews 12, 23, when the Bible talks about the church of the firstborn ones, what God is saying is, you belong to me. You're mine. And he said, your names are registered in heaven. So when you obey the gospel of Christ, God puts your name in the book of life. He records your name. You remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when Jesus said to the disciples, Rejoice, why? Because your names are written in heaven. If you've obeyed the gospel and you're living a faithful life, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You don't have to doubt that. You can know with all certainty that your name is in the book of life. So, your name may be recorded in the Lamb's book of life. It may have been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. But not only can it be recorded, but it could be removed. Somebody says, well, how could my name be removed from the book of life? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talks about those who, if they live faithfully, he said, they shall walk with me in white, and I will not blot out their name from the book of life, but I will confess their name before my Father and before his angels. What Jesus is saying there is those who live faithfully will not have their names removed from the book of life. But what he is saying by implication, or inference rather, Is that if we're not faithful, if our lives are not in harmony with the will of God, then he'll remove them. Do you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2? When he talked about those that had escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he said they are again entangled therein and overcome. He said the latter state is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What he's saying is that there are some that may choose to forsake the right way. They know what God wants them to do, but they abdicate that way. They choose to go back into the world. They choose to live an unfaithful life. So as a result of that, what the Lord would say is, their names will not be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Think with me in the final place about the separation that will occur before the throne. John pictures here the end of all time when death and Hades give up the dead in them. Death, of course, the enemy of man. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will destroy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It will be gone. It will be no more. The Hadean realm will give up the dead who were in it. And will be judged. So here's the question. Who will be lost? And who will live? Here's what John said. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to, to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. First of all, who will be lost in that place that we call hell? John describes it as the second death. It's a place where people live but die. They die but live. They'll live forever in that place. Listen, if you would, to what John said in Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. Let me just give you his commentary on those who will be lost. He said, but the cowardly or the fearful, that is, those who, because of fear, renounce or recant their faith in Christ. He said, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. John there catalogs a number of things that we're familiar with, things that are identified by Scripture as sin. You see, sin separates us from God. What you need to understand, first of all, is hell. Hell was never designed for you. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if we were to ask the question, who will be lost in hell? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that those whose lives are not in harmony with the will of God, those that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer destruction. Everlasting punishment, as Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and following. Those who live in sin, those who live in disobedience to God, they will lose their soul. I want you to think about this for a minute. Hell wasn't prepared for you or me. The Bible tells us in a very plain and forthright way that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anybody to be lost. If people are lost it will be because of poor decision-making, choosing not to live in harmony with the will of God. To those who are in sin, what we have to understand is there is hope. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds a lot like... Our society doesn't. But he said such were some of you. Past tense. What he's saying is they had repented of their sins. He said you were washed. That is you were baptized into Christ. Your sins were washed away. And thus you were justified. They stood before almighty God as his children. These very people Paul wrote to in his first letter. And he addressed them as those who were sanctified in Christ And called to be saints. That's what God can do for you. Through Jesus. That's why I say you don't have to to go to hell. You don't have to be separated from God forevermore. Why? Because God loves you. He sent his son to die for your sins. He wants you to be saved. But some will be lost. What about those who will live? What about those who will live in heaven? Do we have the assurance that we can one day be in that heavenly city? Yes, we do. Who's going to be in heaven? Well, those who are faithful. You remember what Jesus said? Be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Those that have been baptized into Christ and those who are living for the Lord Jesus on a daily basis. Now, does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. But we're walking in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We understand that because of the blood of Christ, we stand before him pure and just in his sight. I want you to think about if you're a child of God. What's going going to be on your side when you stand before the Lord in judgment? The blood, isn't it? The blood of Jesus. The blood is what makes the difference. To stand before the Lord... To have lived a life of servanthood, of sainthood. To have striven to the best of our ability to live in harmony with the will of God. Here's what the Lord will say. Well done, good and faithful servant. Paul said we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. But each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. When I obey the gospel and the blood of Christ washes away my sins and I live... In harmony with his will, that cleansing blood is at work every single day in my life. So when I'm called before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm saved. And I'm heaven bound on the basis of my relationship to the Lord. So here's what John said. I saw a new heaven, chapter 21, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 4 he said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I want to tell you this. If you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are a part of his family, and you are doing your best every single day, you are heaven bound. And what Jesus and what the Bible says about the hope of, the he- of heaven and the hope of the redeemed is true and faithful. You can take it to the bank. It is a rock solid promise. So one day we're going to stand before the throne of God. The books are going to be opened. That would be this book. Another book's going to be opened. The book of life. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Right now, is your name in the book of life. Do you know that your name is in the book of life? Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure, while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.